You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Terry Riley titled, Prayer, the What and What For. For more information, please visit creekside.org. I want to say thank you to the Crab Feed team. Um, yeah. And here's the deal. This was the best crab feed that I've been a part of. 13, well, I've been a part of all of them at some level. Best one, hands down. Everything worked so well. Here's what I was so, here's what so blessed me. Trina and I were at home last night, right before we turned off the lights. We were just saying, can you believe what just happened these last two days? We got people, they don't get paid for it. They're taking their own time. They spend hours on serving, and some of them, uh, the key leaders, spend hours during the year prepping for it, setting up. It makes for a long night, makes for two long nights, and then especially because you're resetting, and we look, come in, I don't smell any crab. I see some crabs, but I don't smell any. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and a lot of the teams are here on Sunday after just exhausting themselves, and Trina and I are talking about all this, and we go, wow, can you believe it? And we just go, we get to be a part of that. And I want to say thank you from, I mean, a, a, just a heartfelt, sincere thanks because you did an incredible job this year of serving our community. I believe, I don't know this, but I'm pretty sure we probably raised more money. And I mean, give me a break. We got $6,600 on two stinking cakes. Who does that, you know? But uh, so... What's that? Yeah. Uh, I think it was 14000 total for the, that we raised for the cakes and just gobs of money. That was for the uh, Martinez, uh, one of the school's music program. So thank you all, and thank you for being a part of it. Thanks for giving. And uh, yeah, it's, I, 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 and the leaders, I could go on and on. I'll stop there with um, just thank you so much. Yeah. I do have one crab feed concern, though. I put a decent amount of money toward the schools through the raffle tickets. And so that's where my big donations go during those two days. So on fr- uh, it's been four years since I have received anything from the raffles. Four, four years. So here's the deal. Um, Friday night I come and I go, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna push in the chips and bought a bunch of tickets. Had a full pocket full of them, and I had about four things, five things I wanted to get, and Trina wanted a couple of things. So I just, I mean, I just did it, threw them all in, and said, let's do it. So at the end, I thought I had so many tickets. I'm serious. I mean, pocket two pockets full, and I just thought there's no way I can, I can't win. Tickets come up on Friday night, zero. I mean, I don't even get a cake. You know what I mean? I mean, at least, you know, those of you who spent nothing. So I'm thinking, okay, Saturday's coming. Let's give it another shot. And so Saturday comes, I doubled down, and Trina said, I really want that thing. And I said, okay, honey, you got it. And uh, so I, 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 bought, I just bought more tickets, except that little strategy this time somebody told me about. Put some at the beginning, put some in the middle, and then put some at the end. <laughs> I did it. Guess what? I'll come back to it in a minute. 
Um, and I will, I will, I will. Now imagine, uh, uh, think of the courtside seat that the disciples had in following Jesus. I mean, can you imagine that? Don't you ever wonder what it would have been like to walk with him, hear him firsthand? I mean, they got to see, they got to see him raise the dead, heal the sick, feed the multitudes, preach the word, cast out demons, die on a cross, and then resurrect. And they all got to see that. That would be, wow, amazing. But after all of that, you go to Luke chapter 11, verse 1. You know what they said to him? They're sitting around one day, and they say, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? They didn't ask how to do all that other stuff. They saw, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? And I believe the reason that that happened that way is because they saw that every day he would get up and pray. He would go and be with the Father. And they begin to see the realness, the reality of a relationship that Jesus had with his Father. And then they begin to see the power that was manifest and come through because Jesus spent time in prayer. I want to talk about prayer this morning and just some of the what fors and, and the whys. If you would, in James chapter 5, I want to read to you from James 5, verse 13, where it talks about Paul's talk, excuse me, James is talking about effective prayer. Pick it up at uh, chapter 5, verse 13. It says this Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the leaders of the church, and they should pray over him. After anointing him with the uh, with olive oil in the name of the Lord, the prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Because the intense, the fervent prayer of the righteous is very powerful. Oh, there's a man. His name was Elijah. He had a nature just like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. And then when he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, the land produced fruit. Just in that passage right there, prayer is mentioned seven different times. Now, you have to understand that we see here that that James is the half-brother of Jesus. So when he's talking about praying, he fully understands who he's praying to. He's praying to his brother. And he says, you know what, Jesus? I'm going to pray to you. Now, James was known in the, Old Te- excuse me, in the New Testament uh, as a man of prayer. After he, had, he didn't believe in Jesus at first as the Messiah, but once he began to believe, he became such a man of prayer and a leader in the early church. They started calling him old camel knees because he prayed so much. He'd be on his knees so much. He literally grew these big calluses. You ever seen a camel and the calluses that it has on its knees? And that's what they referenced Jesus' half-brother James as, Old camel knees. And see, we kind, of, we, we, we kind of understand, don't we, that prayer is the greatest privilege we have, that we get to talk to the God of the universe, the creator of all, and that the greatest power in our life can come through our prayer time. We talk about prayer. We read about prayer. We get teachings on prayer. But I suppose the question I would challenge you with, how do you feel about your prayer life? Now, don't take that as a guilt question, but just how do you feel about it? Are you happy with it? Do you see results? You feel good about it? 
well, what is prayer and why, really, why should we pray? What should we pray for? Well, prayer is simply talking and listening to God. I mean, the essence of it, that's all it is. We see it as, most people treat it as a monologue, but it's really meant to be a dialogue where you're praying to God and then you're listening as God speaks back to you. I don't know about you, but I don't always understand the whys and the what ifs and the how comes of prayer. It's like one guy who said, you know, so what if I don't know what Armageddon means? It's not the end of the world, you know? And that's kind of when, you, when, when it comes to prayer, you know, we, we, we don't always understand it because it's, it's sovereign with God. And we don't always know the why and how come this doesn't happen or this happens. And you may not understand it, but I can tell you one thing, loved ones, it's the mo- one of the most important things you can do. That's so what the disciples said, Jesus, we just want you to teach us how to do this one thing, teach us to pray. So what should we pray for? Well, we should pray for everything. Well, just about everything. I've told you the story before, and, but I had a guy that used to get up in the morning and he would, at Bible college, and he would pray, what do I, you know, Lord, what do I wear? He'd go to the closet and you knew it wasn't God speaking to him. And, and you don't got to pray about what you, how you dress. You don't got to pray about where you're going to go to lunch today. You know, you don't got to pray about those things, but anything of significance in your life that needs God's touch, needs his direction, you need his counsel, pray about it. Pray about everything, and then pray about it constantly. First Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray constantly. Some translations say, pray without ceasing. Live your life, as we're talking about this year in our theme, live your life with a God awareness, knowing that He is there. He is present. He wants to speak to you, and He wants to hear from you, and He wants to give blessing over you. When do you do it? Well, I think one of the first times you should do it during emotional upheaval in your life. James 5.13 says this, that if anyone among you is suffering, if you're in trouble, if you have affliction, depending on what your translation says, he should pray. The idea behind that Greek suffering, affliction, or in trouble has to do with to experience misfortune, to literally be afflicted. And it really has to do with this inner turmoil that is caused by external circumstances. Anybody ever have, have to deal with that kind of stuff? Maybe it's a relational crisis. Maybe it's a loss of something significant in your life, someone in your life. Whatever it is, when your heart's breaking, when there's soul damage being done because of what's happening out here, that's when you want to pray. David said it this way in Psalm 18.4. He said, in my distress, I called out to God. When your life is in a full court press and you're under tension, when you've got distress and stress in your life, what do you want to do? James says, call out to the Lord. Because our life, it, it, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? The ups and, and the ups and downs. Because right after he says, if you're in trouble, if you've got suffering, I want you to pray. Then he asks this question. Oh, and by the way, is anybody happy or cheerful? What does he say? Let him sing songs of praise. Life can be a roller coaster. We can be up one minute. We can be down. There are highs and there are lows. There's feast and there's famine. There's problems and there's joy. And James is saying, you're going to have both. You're going to have both because that is life 101. But here's, this, here's what he says to do. He says, if when you're going through difficulty and suffering, there's emotional stuff taking place, make sure you pray. 
when you get through it, then he says this, you know what? When things are good, when you're cheerful, when you're joyful, make sure you're giving God praise. Make sure you're speaking out, you're singing your praises to God. Why is that? Because here's what happens. It's easy to really call out on God in the difficult times for most of us. But when things are going good and everything's smooth, it's kind of easy to forget, isn't it? And he says, I want you to remember God is in the midst of both. He's in the midst of the good, the difficult, and he's also there in the positive. And he says, I want you to be consistent. I want you to be thinking. I want you to be thanking God. Second, um, make sure you're praying when there's physical issues come. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the leaders of the church, and they should pray. Pray over him after anointing him with olive oil in the name of the Lord. Where it says the word sick here, it means without strength. It means you're just kind of wasted away. You got no juice. You're fatigued. You're probably unable to work. And he says this, the leaders and the spiritual leaders and the spiritual people of the church are to come and pray over you. Now, there's different kinds of sicknesses that we see in the Bible. There's a sickness unto death. Remember Lazarus in John chapter 11, verse 11 and 4, it says that he dies. His sisters wanted him prayed for, and Jesus says, I'll get there. But Lazarus gets sick and he dies. And here's the thing we can't ever forget, that God allows us to get sick, and ultimately he takes us home for what purpose? To be with him, to, be, to, to extend our relationship in closer proximity, to spend eternity with him. If every sickness could be healed by faith, guess what? <laughs> Nobody would ever die. And ultimately God's purpose is to get our relationship here with him and move us to eternity, to spend eternity with him here, where he has purposes and plans for us there. There's uh, sickness for discipline. You'll see this in 1 Corinthians 11, 28 and 32. The people of Corinth, a, a, a wild group of Christians, and they're abusing the Lord's table there, and it comes back and Paul says, you know why some of you are sick? Is because you're just abusing the Lord's table. You're, take, you're not taking care of one another. You're not helping the have-nots, the ones that have. You're just focused on yourself, you're selfish, you come and you party up a storm and you forget that the reason you come together is all about Jesus. And so he says, because of that, some of you are sick. And then there's sickness for God's glory. There's sickness for God's glory. Where God has allowed sickness or some kind of affliction to come in somebody's life, you'll see it in John chapter 9, verse 4. There is this man who came to Jesus. He was sick and he was blind. The disciples are around, Jesus is there, and they go, wow, who sinned? How come this guy's blind? How come he's been like this all of his life? I mean, who, who messed up? And Jesus said, was it his, they say, was it his parents? Was it him? And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. It wasn't his parents. It wasn't him. This isn't about sin. He's been sick, and he's blind because at this time, God's glory is to be displayed. So what does Jesus do? He heals the man. Why? Because of his compassion, because of his love, and the simple fact that he wants to bring glory to his Father by his works. Now, th this begs for some probably a little bit of thought process that, well, how come some are healed and some are not? I don't know. You know there's a little different, some different beliefs in the worldwide church. 
we see the sensationalists and what they believe. You see them on TV. They come into town and they hold these giant meetings at big arenas and they advertise their miracles. They bring in the bright lights, the TV cameras, they're rolling. And usually the quote healer is somewhat flamboyant. So what does he do? He starts calling people forward and he begins to scream at them or yell at them or speak loud to them and then he pops them on the head. And every once in a while, you'll see someone throw their crutches away or get up out of a wheelchair and begin to walk, and it's all taking place in a very highly charged emotional experience. And I I don't have a problem with emotional experiences, but here's the thing. Be careful of those situations. I've seen a lot of shenanigans that take place in those situations. Be careful. I'm not against them. I'm just a little bit leery of them. Because you know when Jesus healed, you know how he did it? He'd be in a crowd, small crowd usually. And oftentimes he might even take people aside and he'd say, what do you need? Okay. You want to be healed? Yeah. And then he would pray for them and then he would heal them. And then sometimes, you know what he would say? He'd go, hey, Don't tell anybody. Why? Because Jesus wasn't there to exploit people or to build his reputation. It wasn't about him. It was about his love and his compassion and his care for people and to bring glory to his Father. And don't, listen, loved ones, remember this. Just because you see a miracle or you think you see something happen, it doesn't always mean that it's from God. If if you're reading through the Bible reading plan, you will have read um, week before last about all of the uh, the 10 plagues that God produced through Moses. Moses would speak them and God would do them. For the first four or five plagues, we saw uh, uh, some of the subordinates of the Pharaoh able to do some of the same things. And then there came a place where God draws a line of demarcation and says, you're not going to be able to do this. And then he begins to do the other plagues. Just because you see something happen doesn't always mean that it's of God. Remember what Jesus said at the end of his big talk on the mountain in Matthew chapter 5? He said this, oh, some of you come in my name. Some of you speak of my name. Some of you heal in my name. Some of you prophesy in my name. But he says this, I never knew you. I never knew you. So don't think that everything is from God. Then there's this uh, group called the confessionalists. Um, A a lot of people call it the name it and claim it group. Now, I'm not against any of these groups because all of them have truth in them. You just have to be careful that you don't take the truth too far because if you do, it becomes an untruth. So here's the name it and claim it group, and my friend calls it the gab gab it and grab it group. They say, it's, this is what they'll say. It's always God's will for you to be healed. Bless God. It's always God's will. I mean, it kind of is. I believe God's, God wants everyone healthy and well, but sometimes that only happens when we go to be with him. And they, but they say, listen, we're going to pray the prayer of faith, brother, and your sister, you're, you're going to be healed. Claim your healing. What's the problem with that? We've got the faith to see you healed. Well, here's the problem. If a person doesn't get healed, it always brings about a lot of guilt. Because now this person is left to wonder, oh, didn't I have enough faith? Didn't I have enough belief in God? Didn't I do the right things? Didn't I trust him enough? That's silliness. That is silliness. 
Because at that point, it's not about Jesus touching and healing our lives. It's about how good is my faith? How much do I believe? Is it strong enough? And it is never about that, loved ones. We have an element to play in that. But the ultimate healing comes from the healer, Jesus Christ, not because of what we say or do. Because a lot of times, if you get into these, this group, you'll find out that they have all of these formulas. If you memorize this, if you quote this, if you pray this, if you do this, if you do that. Are you kidding me? I tried it one time when I was, uh, I was 18 years old, and uh, this girl, my girlfriend, who I thought I was going to marry, broke up with me. So I found one of these little booklets of my dad's, and it talked about this positive confession. And so you had to, for 30 days, you're supposed to memorize these verses and repeat them, I don't know, 20 times a day, and repeat this prayer 10 times a day, and then God will bring you what you want. And I wanted my girlfriend back. 30 days later, she was nowhere to be found. (laughs) You know what? The formula didn't work. But this is what I learned. God, listen, Jesus knows what he's doing, and he will always take better care of me than any formula because he ended up bringing my wife, Trina. And so I hit a home run, and that was her best friend, and she got to brag. So, I mean, (laughs) so, you know, but the formulas, loved ones, don't work. Don't buy into that. Your prayers... When you have faith and you believe God, that's what it is. It's not the formula that people will tell you to do because otherwise you'll be thinking like this. Okay, well, you you got Cadillac faith or you got Ford faith? (laughs) If you want to drive a Cadillac, boy, you better be believing big for God. (laughs) You kidding me? It's not about faith. It's about formulas. Formulas will always cause guilt and potentially resentment. Here's the dispensationalists. The dispensationalists say the gifts of healing were only for the New Testament times and they're no longer around. What you have to understand is there's people all around that are getting healing. Some of you in this room, first service, are signs and wonders of God's goodness. You've come out of places that, listen, nobody, no therapist, no doctor, no, nobody could drag you out of. And here you are, clothed and in your right mind. Why? Because Jesus came into your life. That's a miracle. Some of you have been healed of many of, of different things. I've seen it in my ministry. I've seen people pray for them and they're healed. Just like I've seen people that I've prayed for and they haven't. They've died. But don't ever think that you can serve a God who is transcendent, the creator of the universe. Hebrews 1 holds everything up by the word of his mouth that he can't touch you wherever you are or touch those that you love. Now, it doesn't mean that he will because he has plans and purposes that are higher than every one of ours. But this is what I tell people. I have held the hand or the body or been with many dying people, I mean, when they gave their last breath. And this is what I tell people that get into these situations. I say, I'm going to fight as long as you want to fight, and I'm going to pray for as long as you want to pray, and I'm going to contend for your touch of God and healing until you're tired of it or you're healed. Because I'm going to believe. Because God can heal somebody in stage four as quickly as he can stage two. And he can use a doctor, or he can do it through a miraculous touch. But don't ever let anybody tell you that Jesus cannot heal today. 
He can. He does. Scripture says this, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know what that means? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's immutable. He is immutable. He's unchanging. He's the powerful God. And now we've seen those three, but here, James, he's a realist. He believes God can heal, but he understands not everybody gets healed. And somehow we have to live in that faith tension. We don't walk by faith, but we walk by sight. We don't walk by what we see and feel. We walk by what God says. And that's why it's easy for me to pray for the sickest person until the day God takes him home. Because I'm not God and I don't feel guilty anymore about praying for somebody and they don't make it. I just say, that's all I can do. It's up to you, God. And we want to have, loved ones, that kind of faith. So James says, what do you do when you're sick? Call on the spiritual leaders of the church to pray. Now hear me, these aren't spiritual healers that are walking around, you know, they're kind of coming in like ghostbusters and we're here, you know, we're going we're gonna to shoot healing into your life. No, these are just spiritual people that you can trust, that you know they have a relationship with God and will speak on your behalf. You can trust them and you know they will pray. And they come, and they simply pray in faith. And you understand, I, I know this is kind of weird, but do you know that it doesn't matter how loud you pray? Did, did you know that? Because a lot of people, that I mean, they just scream their prayers, and everybody goes, oh my gosh, uh, God heard that prayer. <laughs> I mean, really? I mean, he doesn't, well, what about when you pray in your mind? What happens there? Does that mean it's less effective than just really shouting it out? How about some of you that are really eloquent and some of us that kind of stammer it out? Does that mean your prayers are better? People think so. Can I tell you? It's not true. A prayer is based on faith, not volume, not volume of words, not, not the number of words. But that's why we're called to pray. It says you should call on the spiritual leaders. Here's the deal. I say this with great love. As a pastor... But you, you know whose responsibility it is to call on somebody? It's the person that is sick. You know what happens in a church our size? We're not a mega church by any stretch. I understand that, but it's still a fairly, you know, it's probably, you know, one top 20 percentile of churches in size in the United States. I don't know all of you. Some of you, I wouldn't, if I saw you at the store, I wouldn't know you. It's not because I don't care. I just, I, we don't know each other. And so this is what happens. Well, people sometimes, they get sick. And then they won't call and let us know that you're sick. And then after you've gotten better or whatever, then all of a sudden we get these words. Well, didn't you know? Uh, no, we don't. You know, as married couples, you know this. You can't read minds. You got you to call. You got to let us know. That's the only way we can pray for you. Sometimes now, in, in the culture today, this is what I find. I'll call and say, hey, you want me to pray for you? Oh, no, man, that's good. Yeah, just pray for me there. You want me to come see it? No, no, I'm good. But, but, but it's, it's, it's discouraging sometimes for the leaders in the church to find out somebody is mad because we didn't know or they didn't call. So uh, that's your responsibility. And I think that, that this whole passage is implying with that idea the importance of belonging to a local church. Why? Because every Christ follower needs to identify with a local church. So when struggles come, when difficulties come, you know who to call. 
And the person that you call generally knows you or somebody in that body knows you, which is part of the reason why connection becomes so important. Otherwise, you become kind of a lone ranger out there. And the body, which is what you are this morning, is to care for one another. Take care of one another. Pray when, there, when spiritual recovery is needed. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. In Jesus' day, many places they taught that sickness was the result of sin. And Jesus in John 9 that we just talked about blows that thought out of the water. All sickness is not tied to sin. And hear me, don't try and figure out when it is. Well, brother, must be sin in your life. If you read the story of Job, that's what they tried to say to him. Well, brother must not be doing your devotionals. Well, brother, what sin's in your life? It's a paraphrase, but that's what these guys tried to do with Job, and they caused him more harm than good. Now, that said, Jesus did teach that there is sickness that we can bring into our lives, and we just understand that from a practical vantage point. If I don't follow God's principles, guess what? My body is going to show that, and it's going to do things that cause that. If you don't eat right, loved ones, you are not going to be healthy for the long haul. And then when something comes, if you haven't taken care of your body to eat right, to sleep right, to exercise right, if you get sick, then you're going to pay the consequences when those things happen. Your body may not heal as quickly. Some of you, maybe you are under intense stress. Here's what the Bible says. When those times come, don't be anxious for anything, but pray about everything. But pray about everything. So if you've got ulcers, if you've got all this stress, if you've got all these issues going on physically, maybe, just maybe, part of it could be that you're not doing what the Bible says. You're worrying about everything instead of praying about it. And so you're carrying that around. I mean, you just, you know, you can look it up. The problems that stress and pressure causes people physically, not to, not to mention emotionally. So maybe there's things that we do need to do. But here I want to talk to you just about, this is important, grow in your prayer life. Here's Paul's example. Paul says, I want you, but when Paul prays, he prays for spiritual matters more than physical it's good to pray for people and their needs and, and, and all of those things. But Paul's prayer had to do with character development, becoming more loving, knowing God more deeply, walking a worthy life of Christ and sharing his life with others. That's the things that Paul prayed for in the New Testament. It wasn't just about bless Creekside, bless so-and-so. It was about God. Let them walk in a manner worthy of their calling. Let them live in accordance with the purposes and calling that you have upon their life. Let them be lovers of people, servants of the Most High God. I mean, the prayers that he prays are great. He prayed for eternal matters more than temporal. Why isn't everybody healed? I don't know. That's the question everybody asks. How come this person was healed and this person wasn't? I don't know. Here's what I do know. God's purposes are always greater than ours. Oh, that just sounds like preacher talk. Well, what do you want to hear? I could make something up for you. Remember Paul? He's a great example of this. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul, this is Paul. 
he wrote a, uh, probably at least a third of the New Testament. And what does he say? He goes, Lord, I got this problem. Could you take care of it? Three times he asked, and what did God say each time? No, no, no. Why? He says this to him. He doesn't give him an answer. He just says, I want to tell you, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. And I'm going to get you through this. And I got my purposes for you. Let's keep going. I don't like that, do you? But it doesn't matter what we like, does it? We got to trust the love of God, the lover of our soul, that what he's going to do is always right. It's always best for us. Who's got the power in this process? Let me just say this, because this gets intimidating when you read this verse. It says, oh, the righteous, the prayer of the righteous. Who's righteous? If you know Jesus, you are righteous. Yes, you are. Because it's not about what you do, it's about what Jesus Christ has done for you. He has made us righteous before the Father. That means we have right standing before God and right standing before people because of who Jesus is and what he's done. Now, he uses an example here of a guy named Elijah. It isn't based on how good you are. It's based on your direction. Are you going toward Jesus? And if you're going toward Jesus, it's never about your perfection. But if you're moving toward Jesus, you're going to be changing. If you're not changing, you're probably not moving toward Jesus. And he uses this example of Elijah who had all, he, he takes on these Baals in chapter 18 of 1 Kings. He wins this battle, 400 prophets of Baal. He just obliterates them with God's power. It's a great story. Please read it. And then you come to chapter 19. He finds out of 1 Kings, he finds out that there's this wicked witch of the West named Jezebel who's on his tail and says, I'm going to kill him. And all of a sudden he falls into this deep place of deep depression. What does Elijah do? He gets fearful. He runs. He has resentment. He has guilt. He has anger, loneliness, worry. And he's blaming God for his plight now. And then God comes and he speaks to him. God uses this this ordinary person. He pulls him up out of his depression and his plight. And he says, go get back to work. here's, Here's the point. God uses ordinary people and ordinary prayers from people like you and me to do extraordinary things. And that's the reason he uses Elijah as an example. Hey, the dude had the same kind of things going on that we did. How do I pray earnestly, quickly? Number one, you ask and you listen to his voice. It says the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord came. You know why Elijah knew how to pray for uh, what he had to pray for in 1 Kings 17, God says to Elijah, he says, I want you to go to Ahab and I want you to tell him there's going to be three and a half years of drought. Okay? So um, Elijah goes and he tells Ahab, it's not going to rain for three years, three and a half years. Now, here's the interesting thing. You figure, okay, God's going to do that. You know what Elijah did next? He went up and he began on this mountain. He began to pray. He used to pray, he begins to pray for rain. He has a servant. He sends him seven times. Tell me if the clouds are coming. On the seventh time, he said, yeah, the clouds are finally coming. God said it was going to happen sovereignly, but Elijah had to step into it personally and prayerfully to bring about God's word. What's that say to us? 
You want to know what God is doing? That's why we're talking about this today, praying. That's why we talked last week about sitting with Jesus. That's why we're talking about this year, that we have this awareness of the living God because you will begin to see what he's doing because he's going to speak it to your word. He's, th- through his word, he's going to be speaking in your spirit. And then guess what? You're going to say, aha, I know what to pray for. You'll begin to pray for it, and you'll begin to see it happen, just like with Elijah. You need to hear his voice, spend time with him, and then pray the things that he's speaking to you. Secondly, you gotta, you got to pray. you got to be specific in your prayers. See, it's so easy for us to say, Lord, thank you for this. Please bless them, bless the world, instead of being really specific. You ever find yourself just praying like that? Oh, God bless the world. Oh, man. Instead of, God, I need a miracle. I need you to touch my kids. I need you to bring healing to my son or my daughter. I need you to deal with this addiction. I need you to touch this broken part of their body or their heart. And you begin to spell it out and say, God, that's what I want. Here's a couple lessons that I learned from the crab feed. Back to that raffle story. Some good lessons. So last night, I, I just overloaded the places that I wanted to win in. Now, this is corny, but stick with me. I got my little friend, Giselle, Berta, who was serving there. And remember, um, I didn't know who was, you know, doing the picking out. So I figured, man, I'm going to go to the source. I'm talking about prayer this Sunday. <laughs> so I found out that, hey, where's Giselle? Come here, girl. This little powerhouse. Come on up here, girl. She's my girl. She's my, my, my cookie girl, too, that twisted my arm and forced me to buy those, right? So here it is. I walk up and I find out. I go, she's the one that picks. So if you've got any bones to pick, talk to her if you didn't win either. So I walk up to her and I got this other plan. I did all this new strategy. I walk up to her and I go, Giselle, you're doing the picking, right? Yes. Which hand did you pick, do you pick with? Yeah, but what did you do? You went like this, okay? So you went like this. So here's what the pastor does. I says, okay, here's my chance. Jesus, <laughs> I pray over this hand that Giselle, my good friend, will pick the right tickets. Amen. Is that what we did? Okay. So... We did that, and I thought, okay, man, I have covered every base there is to cover. Lord, bless her as she picks. So you know what happened? The end of, uh, the, end of the night, the ticket things come up. <laughs> this is so cool. Guess what happened? They come up, and they come up, and they come up, and they come up. Nothing. <laughs> I, mean, not, I mean, nothing. I mean, I wasn't even close. There wasn't even numbers close. So afterwards, I went after her. <laughs> and I said, I said, I didn't get a stinking thing. What's the deal? So I had to blame somebody. And, and, um, so, and she goes, oh, well, <laughs> guess what? I, I, I got the TV. I won the TV. <laughs> and it hit me. I wasn't specific. <laughs> I, I prayed, God, bless these little fingers. And God did. 
And so she walks out with a 44-inch TV, and I got Jack. So get out of here. But hear me, loved ones, do this. Be specific when you pray. James, James 4.2 says you do not have because you do not ask. And I'm learning. I am going to speak and believe and pray very specifically, especially next auction. <laughs> Secondly, you want to you be humble and move with the right motives. James says you don't get because you have selfish motives. James 4 says when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives and you spend what you get on your pleasures. Ooh, lesson number two from last night. After giving Giselle this bad time about me not winning and she's bragging about winning the TV, I'm just kind of kidding around with her and kind of pressing the point of how she let me down. And she goes, well, she takes this little tag off her TV and she goes, well, maybe if you weren't so greedy. <laughs> and then she goes, and here, I want you to take this tag from my TV so that you'll remember not to be so greedy. <laughs> and then maybe Jesus will give you something. And I didn't say it, but here's what I thought. I said, you little brat. <laughs> if, if you're so spiritual and so good, give me your TV, you know? <laughs> and, and I did ask her for it, and she never responded. <laughs> and I think it's probably at home by now. But hear me, loved ones. And this is a great lesson. Check your motives. Maybe that's why I'm on a five-year drought now. Because <laughs> I want it for me. Instead of saying, Lord, I want it for your glory. I want it to bless others in your name. And then make sure you come with a clean life. James 5, he says this. The urgent request of the righteous person is very powerful in its effect. If you're a Christian, you're righteous. But see... God wants us to come clean and open. If you're one of those people that thinks you can do whatever you want and then call on God whenever you want and get whatever you want, you're mistaken. Psalm 56, 18, David said this, if I hide, if I conceal iniquity, sin in my heart, then the Lord will not hear. See, we have this responsibility to live and to do what God calls us to live and to do and to become. It's still up to him. But don't think that you can fool and finagle with the living Christ. The psalmist said it this way, who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about a direction that is moving us toward Jesus. And the last thing is simply this, ask in faith. James said it this way, the prayer of faith will save the sick person, the broken person, the hurt person. Expect an answer. At the beginning of James, he says in James 1.6, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. When you come to God, loved ones, believe that he answers your prayer. And trust 
that ultimately it's about his purposes and his plans being worked out in your life. Jesus said it this way, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. But in the midst of that, keep trusting. Amen? Pray. Pray to God. Let's stand. As our worship team comes, I want to do one thing. It's easy to talk about prayer, isn't it? It's easy to think about it. Hopefully it's easy to hear a talk on it. But wouldn't we be kind of remiss and we're going to start adding more elements of prayer in our times together on Sunday even. And this morning I want to pray for people. If you are struggling, if you've got, whatever the issue is, physical, emotional, spiritual, James says, pray and believe, no doubt, trust, lean into the living Christ. And if that would be you this morning, I'm going to just encourage you to be humble enough to say, that's me, and just raise your hand, hold it up for a moment, and we're going to be the church. And I, I, want, I want people, would you look around and just see who's got their hand up? And I want you to, some of us that are spiritual, you're righteous because you know Jesus. Would you go stand and just place your hand on some of these people's shoulder? Let them know you're going to pray with them, stand with them, and you're going to pray for them. Go ahead, make your move. We don't have to, you know, it's not, just let's move toward these people. Let's be the church. Did you hear me? You're righteous. You're righteous because of who Jesus is and what he's done. Don't be passive. Be assertive with your faith. Look to him. Trust in him. Call upon him for people, for communities, for a church, for the people that are here this morning. You don't know what you need to pray for. That's all right. Our God does. But he calls us to pray prayers of faith. And so we're going to stand here. And I say this a lot. I pray because I believe. And because I believe, I have the faith that God can do it. And that's what we're going to do this morning. Father, we come in your strong name. That's the name of Jesus. It's above every name. There's going to come a time where there's not going to be atheists and agnostics. Every one of them are going to have to bow to the living Christ, the transcendent God of the universe. It's that transcendent God that we get to call out to, but who also lives and resides within us and wants to heal us, wants to touch us. I pray, Lord, for these people that were humble today, and they simply raised their hands, and they said, I have a need. They're not ashamed. They're, they're, they're coming, Lord, with just a sense of humility. Says, God, I need you in my life. I need you to touch this. I need you to do this. So we're going to pray and ask you, physically, spiritually, child, maybe it's a wayward child. It's a difficult child. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's just a brokenness out of loss. And we ask Jesus that you would come, bring wholeness, a wholeness and health to every situation that is represented here today. There are people, you're here and you're broken, but you're not humble. You're hoping that God will do something, but he says, I want you to come. James 4 says, come humbly, because when you come humbly, I can, when you draw humbly upon yourself, you'll call upon me. That's when I come and draw near to you. So, Lord, I pray for people today. They would be humble. They 
would call upon the name of the Lord. They would call upon us here in the church and we'll pray over them for their healing, for their provision financially, for their wholeness in their life, for their children who need you. And we do that now in your name.